Amen. You may be seated. purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God, and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. These words are from Pastor Tim Keller. Can you guess what he's talking about? Anybody? You bet. He's talking about suffering. And I'm sure if we spoke to each person here today, we'd discover that every one of us is suffering with something in some way. And every one of us is facing suffering in different ways. But is there a way that followers of Jesus should face suffering? Is there a right way? A way that pleases the Lord? Keller suggests that there is. And that Christianity has a unique perspective on suffering. So this morning, we're going to consider this perspective as we look at uh, Romans 8, verses 18 to 30. So feel free to open if, you're, if you've got a Bible, if you've got a phone and you'd like to open that up, please do. We're going to look at Romans 8, verses 18 to 30, a text that majors on the theme hope. But it comes in the context of suffering. And I think what we're going to see this morning is that one of the ways Christianity is unique is that Christians, people who follow Jesus and love Jesus, we face suffering head-on with hope. We face suffering with hope. This morning we're going to see that God carries us through groaning to glory as we hope in Him. He carries us through groaning to glory as we hope in Him. And my prayer that is, is that as we look at this text, we'll gain stability and spiritual power in the love of God. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, all of us here are suffering. There are things we're suffering for because of our sin, there are things we're suffering for because we live in a fallen world and people have sinned against us. There are things we're suffering for because of the corruptions of life in a world that is subject to decay and breakdown and death. So Lord, as we look at this text, I pray that our hopes would be set on you, that our strength would find its roots in the love of God once again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to the Bible, suffering is neither pointless nor is it punishment for those who believe in Christ. There is actually a purpose to it. God, believe it or not, is working throughout all creation, all the time, even now, as it snows. While people suffer, he is working to do good for his people. And God's promise is that he'll bring his people all the way home to him. But, unfortunately, as we'll see in Romans 8, the way home for God's people is the way of suffering and groaning in this life. It's the way of pain. 
We suffer like the rest of the world indeed, but we suffer in a different way than the world. We have hope in our suffering. So let's start by considering what this hope looks like. What is the hope that we have? First thing we're going to see is that Christians have the hope of glory. Look at verse 18. Paul begins by saying, uh, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now Paul has just said in chapter 8, uh, verse 17 of Romans, that those who trust in Jesus will be glorified with him, provided that they suffer with him. He's going over many of the benefits of the gospel, many of the benefits of being in Christ. At the beginning of the chapter, he says, there's therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And he carries on, and the benefits just continue to pile up. He's talked about sonship from verses 12 to 17, but he says, you're going to get an inheritance, a glorious inheritance. You're going to be glorified, provided you suffer with Jesus who you're connected to. So now he's comparing that glory that's coming, that glorified body that we're going to get. He's comparing those things, those glories, with the sufferings that we're facing right now as we groan in this life and in this body. And he says, as he's comparing it, he says it's, it, gives, it yields hope. Now hope in the Bible is similar and likened to waiting. It's like waiting for something that's sure to come. It's like waiting on that Amazon package that we know is coming, but we need patience until it arrives. It's coming, but we need to wait for it. And what are believers waiting for? We're waiting for glory. The glory of God. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to be with the Lord. Absolutely. But I think Paul has in mind here a glorified body, as we see in verses 17 as it transitions to 18. Uh, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. A body that is fit for the new heavens and the new earth. And if we compare that glory of our future body with our current sufferings in this body, we will realize that there's hope. And that the glory that's coming for us and going to be revealed in our bodies will eclipse the sufferings that we're now facing by far as we suffer in this life. So Christian, one day Jesus will change your current body to be a glorious and beautiful body likened to his resurrection body. That's a hope for you. That's Glorious, and that's coming for you. That's a promise that's yours in Christ. Your future beauty surpasses your current hurts, your current scars and sufferings. Can you believe that? Can you wait for that? Can you hope in that? The next thing we see is that even the created world is actually waiting for this transformation of our bodies. It's quite staggering as we continue in Romans 8. Look at verses 19 through 22. Creation groans in hope. I know I said in hope. I think it would be better if I said creation groans with hope. But look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole world, uh, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So God has set believers free by faith in Christ from the bondage and corruption through the power of Jesus. The bondage and corruption of the world we have been set free from and we're being liberated from that. And God will do the same liber, uh, liberation uh, for the whole of creation one day. Since Adam's sin, the creation that we live in now has been exposed to frustration and futility. It's not productive as it was meant to be. Planet Earth is not the productive paradise that God designed it to be. It's a place of death, destruction, decay, violence, and corruption. Our plans get frustrated, don't they? Our relationships get broken up, don't they? This is life in a fallen world. But one day, creation will experience a glorious great reversal, a transformation. The curse will actually be lifted from the earth. When we, the sons of God, believers in Christ, are glorified, that will set that transformation into motion. When our bodies are transformed, this creation will also be transformed into a new creation. And the new creation will be a productive, fruitful place where God and mankind will enjoy uninterrupted friendship, just like it was supposed to be. We'll have fellowship with God again. But right now, creation groans, waiting for the glory of the sons of God to be revealed. It groans. Are you groaning? Are you waiting for everything that you know about life in this world to change? For those of us who are in Christ, this will happen. Even us Christians, we are currently in a place and state of groaning, aren't we? But we groan with hope. We see this in verses 23 to 25. Christians groan, again, I think I should have said, with hope. So you'll still get a candy, kids, if you put with hope. Uh, in that. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So our hope is not yet realized, is it? But it's sure to come. Some of you have experienced this and are experiencing this right now. Suffering can be so severe that we don't even know how to pray. It's, it's deep and it hurts hard. We can't even utter words for our groans and pains. They're too deep for words, but... God doesn't leave us alone in these times of groaning and pain. All hope is not lost when we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to say. This is when the loving Spirit intervenes for us and intercedes for us to God. That's what we see next. The Holy Spirit prays for us 
verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in our weakness, waiting and suffering because we don't know what to pray for at such times. And if we're honest, sometimes we don't even want to pray and we don't pray. But God knows that too. And God is gracious. And He knows that especially in these times of suffering, we need effective prayer. And we need an effective prayer. So what does He do? He sends the Spirit to intercede for us. As Douglas Moo says, the Spirit makes up for our helplessness when we do not know what to pray for. Unknown to us, He brings before God the prayer that perfectly matches God's will for us. Have you experienced this? In times of trouble, you don't even know, unknown to us, I like what He says there, unknown to us, God is working on your behalf, praying, and you're getting hope in your heart like you didn't even believe, like you didn't even believe could happen? How can this be? Because the Holy Spirit is personal, isn't He? He knows us and He searches our hearts to present our prayers and needs to God. Verse 27, And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He sees exactly where we're weak, and He knows exactly what we need, and He always prays according to God's will for us. He's the most effective and intimate interceder and prayer warrior there is. Not just praying for our situations to change or our sufferings to stop. He prays for what we need most when we're suffering. He prays for our hearts to change. He prays for our character to become more like Christ. There's a purpose to it. And what's that purpose? Look next here, verse 28. God's purpose in our groaning. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now we're just flying over the text here, as you can tell. This is a short message. So there's so much more we could plumb. But this text yields so much. And you've probably gone to it many times. And I have as well. And I tell you what, when you're in the middle of suffering, Romans 8.28 is not the text you like to hear your friends quote to you. But when you're on the other side of suffering, Romans 8.28 is something you can say with Paul I know that's true, right? Have you gone through suffering and looked back at your suffering and now you can confidently say, yes, God was working all things together for good. This is a text that, that yields so much for us. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So God is doing good for his people in their suffering. Those who he calls out of the world to love him, namely Christians, those of us who God has called out of the world, we can know for sure that he's organized and is organizing good behind all the things that are happening to us, including the suffering. He's operating and conspiring good behind the scenes of our life. 
That is, again, if we're Christians. Christians are defined here as those who love God. A great definition of a Christian, isn't it? And if we love God, we know it's only because he first loved us. Right? So a question for you to ask yourself is, do I love God? Have I trusted in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to bridge the gap between me and the Heavenly Father? If so, take and eat the sweet promise God gives you in this verse. All things work together for your good. For your good. For my good. All things work together for our good. Because God is working good for His people. And we're His people. If we love the Lord and believe in Jesus. Charles Spurgeon highlights this little word together. Often overlooked as we quote this verse. Together is a very important word in this verse. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon emphasizes this, and I think you will be encouraged. It's a longer quote, but I think it's well worth us taking a look at it. Charles Spurgeon says, emphasizing together, it is not the one thing alone that is for your good. It is the one thing put with another thing, and that with a third thing, and that with a fourth, and all these mixed together that work for your good. Your being sick very probably might not be for your good. That, uh, 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 only God has something to follow your sickness. Some blessed deliverance to follow your poverty. And he knows that when he has mixed the different experiences of your life together, they shall produce good for your soul and eternal good for your spirit. We know right well that there are many things that happen to us in our lives that would be the ruin of us if we were always to continue in the same condition. Too much joy would intoxicate us. Too much misery would drive us to despair. But the joy and the misery, the battle and the victory, the storm and the calm, all these compounded make that sacred elixir whereby God makes all his people perfect through suffering, and leads them to ultimate happiness. All things work together for good for those of us who love God. Take heart, fellow believer. God is working all things together for your ultimate good and for the glory of His name. Now, We've danced around this word good, but we're going to look at it real closely right now. The good that Paul has in mind here, I think, is likely different from the good that we have in mind when we think of it, especially when we're suffering. When we're suffering, we often think the best thing or the good that we need is relief. We want the pain to go away, right? But God defines good very differently than us. And it's his definition of good that really matters. And how does God define good? That we become more like Jesus. The good is not comforts and problem-free living. The good life is actually Christ-likeness. Looking and being more like Jesus, our Savior, more sane, more wise, more loving, more obedient in suffering. The good that God is doing in our suffering is not taking it all away, but working the character of Christ in our hearts and into our lives. Because God knows best. 
And it seems that the best environment for a Christian's character to grow and develop is in our suffering. In that environment, we can grow if faced rightly, as Keller said. This is the good that God is doing. He is working all things together for our good and so that we could be more like Christ, as we'll see in verse 29. So dear Christian brother and sister, what are you facing? What suffering are you facing right now? Is it agonizing? Is it painful? Is the hurt too deep for words? There is a purpose to it. If faced rightly, you will grow to be more like Jesus, your Savior. You will experience deep heart change in the deep love of God. Now we see the goal of this promise in verses 29 to 30. Christ-likeness is the goal of suffering. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he, al- who he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. To image God, just I want you to look at verse 29 there. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. There's the goal of suffering, to be conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. What does it mean to image God? To image God means to reflect a likeness or a picture of Him for others to see. It's to resemble Him. The first Adam was the was a true image of God. But sadly, his reflection became disfigured, distorted, marred and stained by sin. And only the second Adam, Jesus Christ, rightly and perfectly reflects the image of God to the world. When we're converted, a long process of renewal starts taking place in our lives. And this renewal is often called sanctification. It's a process where God is faithfully giving us a heart makeover to make us look or image Jesus, image God more like Jesus, the second Adam, the true image of God. So we start this process when we believe in Christ, God starts this process in us, making us image him more and more clearly as we become more and more like Jesus. We reflect the image of God with with more clarity as we grow in obedience and as we grow to be more like Christ. This is the process God is, uh, Paul is talking about in verses 29 to 30. He calls it being conformed to the image of God's Son. It's a restoration of sorts. He's restoring us into the image of Christ. That's the ultimate goal for Christians. To experience this heart change uh, is the very purpose for which God created us to reflect him to the world. And this heart change, this Christ character uh, development, again, grows while we suffer by trusting and waiting and hoping in the Lord. Isn't it in these moments of suffering that we and others around us see how we're growing more mature in faith, in living out the promises that we know, At times, people might even marvel that we've changed so much. 
We as believers have His Spirit in us, and He is always working faithfully behind the scenes to change us into the very image of God. Seen clearly in the God-man, Jesus Christ. The image of God, absolutely. And seen dimly and progressively more brighter in those of us, His people, who are growing in Christ-likeness. Are you seeing this process in others? Just a little bit more Christ in people? Just a little bit more like Jesus? Do you know people at church who have suffered, yet instead of complaining and lashing out, they've grown sweeter and more sympathetic, more like Christ? More like His Son? More like the image of Christ? Be sure to encourage them, church. Life is hard, and growing as a Christian is extremely slow. But we want to encourage people when we see a reflection of Jesus in them. More forgiving. More loving. More caring and compassionate. We want to continue to encourage that as we see it in one another. Now as we see in verses 29-30, to 30, God's plan of salvation stretches from eternity to eternity. These verses say we were foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and also glorified. Today's not the day to un pack each of those, but just to remind you, this is not an exhaustive list of what God has done for us believers. Uh, It's not a systematic theology. Paul is writing the book of Romans to a church, but it shows the believers in Christ how secure they are in Christ. It shows us that God has been working on our behalf and in our lives from before we can remember And he's at work even now, even though we can't see it. And he will be at work in our lives in the future. He's acted in the past. He is acting in the present. And he will act in the future for his people. He's promised and determined to rescue and bring his people all the way home to him as they groan in this life. So believer in Christ, one day, all our suffering will be over. Fini. The pains we're carrying will be replaced by pleasures forevermore. We'll image Christ without the stains of sin. We'll be fully saved in glorified bodies. For now, we who love God know that He's working all things together for our good and for His glory. So we have hope even in our suffering and groaning. As the song to God be the glory goes, great things he hath done. Sorry, great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. And great are rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have hope because you loved us, called us to love you, called us out of the world, and gave us a glorious inheritance. Lord, you're working in our lives. You have worked in our life. We can testify to that. And we know you're going to continue to work in our lives. So please support and sustain your people now under the deep sufferings that they're facing. 
as they grieve and as they groan, I pray that your spirit would intercede for them, strengthen them, give them the hope that they need to endure. May the promises of this text refresh and remind them of your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.